Right, the reading can be found um, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, um, beginning to read at verse 11. And um, you can find that on page 1049 uh, in your Bibles, or in the large print Bibles on 1675. Um, if you'd like one of these large print Bibles, they're on a shelf at the back. Um, if you find that easier to read. Okay, so Luke 15, um, beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to, the, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Beautifully read, thank you. Well, does anyone here use sat-nav? Quite a few of us. I had a sat-nav nightmare this week. I dropped my boys off at a football match and we were driving back after the match and uh, the sat-nav was going and I took a wrong turn. I went uh, left when I should have gone right. The sat-nav was saying, turn around, turn around, turn around. I was thinking, oh my gosh, where am I? I'm actually badly dyslexic from that sort of directional point of view. And uh, then the reception died, the sat-nav died, and we just ended up going in the wrong direction for miles on end. And it was just one of those nightmares. Last week, we, or the week before last, we started this series, didn't we, looking at this story, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And I asked you, are you hanging around the wrong crowd? I've got a question for you tonight. Are you ready for it? Are you going in the wrong direction? Are you, am I going in the wrong or right direction in our lives at the moment? So I just want to think about this, looking at this story, this remarkable story that Jesus told a group of people 2,000 years ago, which is still read today, adored today, and still challenges today. So are you, am I going in the wrong direction? I want to suggest tonight that every character in this story goes in the wrong direction. They all just go in the wrong direction. And I want to take them each by turn, starting with the younger son, obviously. He thinks in his life he's going in the right direction, but as we've heard, he sort of turns around and goes the other way. Let me unpack this. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, we often lose the shocking cultural context of this story, but actually, the, son's, the younger son's request is unusual and highly offensive. It's unusual because it was very, very uncommon at that time to actually go and ask your father for your share of uh, his estate. Uh, he actually was entitled to live off the income until he died. It was offensive because really what the younger son is saying to his father is, you know, Dad, I just want your money and I want you dead. So this is unusual and uh, offensive and um, very, very shameful for the family. Actually, this would have brought great shame on, the, on this family at the time, so much so that if this happened... Uh, actually, what was normal would be for anyone requesting this, any son requesting this, to be beaten up and thrown out of the family. So you see this extraordinary request from the younger son. And uh, he kind of just heads off, doesn't he? He soon becomes clear what he wants to do. He heads off to this other country and uh, he um, basically... Sets off for a distant country. There he squanders his wealth in wild living. And um, then he kind of has this turn of heart, doesn't he? So I want to suggest tonight, first of all, that the younger son is kind of going in the wrong direction. He thinks he's going in the right direction, but he's kind of going in the wrong direction. Sure enough, uh, he actually has this disaster. Two things happen. First, he runs out of money. That's always a nightmare, isn't it, when you run out of money? I don't know whether that's happened to you. It's happened to me. It's a nightmare. 
But then a famine hits the country he's gone to. And basically, he can't eat. So he can't even provide the basic necessities of his life. And uh, he hatches this plan, doesn't he, to actually uh, get a job. And so he um, basically goes and works amongst pigs. Now, of course, anyone listening to Jesus' story, the good Jewish people listening, would have been absolutely shocked by that. Not just what he's done to his father, but actually that he's working among pigs, which were unclean animals. And so he's become unclean. He's doing kind of the worst sort of job. And uh, he basically, he basically uh, has a complete nightmare. He comes to his senses. That's a key phrase in this story. And uh, he then hatches a plan. Okay, the job's not great. I'm absolutely starving. I'm going to go back to my father's house. And uh, basically he says... I'm going to go back. I'm going to say, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. So that's the first character in this story. He's going in the wrong direction. He actually thinks he's going in the right direction, turns to custard, and he goes in a different direction. I want to suggest tonight as well that the father in this story is going in the wrong direction. As I've alluded to already, His reaction to his younger son's request for his share of the estate is all wrong for the time of the day, uh, for the the, the day the story was told. It's absolutely all wrong. He he just gives his son the money. He doesn't ask him where he's going. Uh, He doesn't sort of have an argument with him. He doesn't punch him in the face. He doesn't kick him out of the family. He says, sure, off you go. And uh, it's all wrong. And when his son comes back to him, It's also all wrong. Everyone listening to this story would be thinking, oh my gosh, who is this father? What on earth is he doing? He's going in completely the wrong direction. He's let him him go. And actually, when his son comes back to him, he goes in the wrong direction too. First of all, he goes in the wrong direction uh, emotionally, doesn't he? And uh, I don't know what your reaction would be, but the emotional response of this father to his son seems wrong. It's just wrong. He's sort of been looking for him. It's clear he's been really worried about him. And uh, he says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And uh, he gets very emotional with his son. Uh, Dignified Jewish fathers didn't do this at the time, certainly not in public. He uh, actually throws his arm around his son and kisses him. Everyone, what? This is all wrong. So he does this uh, emotional reaction to his son who's been incredibly offensive uh, is all wrong. His cultural reaction to his son is all wrong too because he actually runs to his son. He runs and seeks out for him. He's, he's known as the running father in some versions of this story. Now again, good Jewish men at that time, they didn't run in public. It was deemed uh, to be a bit vulgar or just not the done thing. And uh, if you think about it today, it's still kind of not the done thing for public figures, is it? I mean, when did you last see the Queen do 100 meters? Or David Cameron, when did you last see him run? Or any of these people who are in control and looking really quite dignified? They never run, do they? So culturally, again, I mean, the father, he's running, he's getting emotional, that's wrong, that's wrong. And then, of course, economically, his response to his younger son is also wrong. He's going in the wrong direction. Why do I say that? Well, he, he actually just expends all sorts of resources in reinstating his son. He, first of all, gives him a robe. It's the best robe. Uh, it's a sign of dignity. What? 
What's he doing? The listeners would be thinking. He gives him a ring on his finger. That's a sign of authority. And then, of course, finally, he gives him some sandals. Guess what that is? That's a sign of sonship. Slaves didn't have shoes. This is a sign of sonship. So everyone listening to this story will be thinking, flipping heck, that son has gone in the wrong direction, but so is the father. The, the father's just, it's all wrong. He's doing it all wrong. What's even more bizarre is the elder son actually looks like he's going in the right direction. Surely he's got to be going in the right direction. But actually, as it transpires in this story, it's clear that he's going in the wrong direction too. His father, the, the elder son looks dutiful. He kind of hasn't gone to a far-off country. He stayed in Burfham uh, with his dad. He's working in the fields. He's done everything right. He's obeyed his dad's orders. He's been dutiful. Uh, yet when he's in the fields and he hears this sort of sound of music and he asks what's going on, he actually becomes really angry when he hears that Basically, his father has killed the fattened calf and is throwing a party for his younger, sorry, his younger brother. And he's angry. He's angry. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He's full, full of anger. And I read this story to a group of people outside the church. They weren't Christians, and they were, they were with the elder son. Yeah, completely understand his reaction. I'm, absolutely. This is a fair reaction. But as we shall see, it seems as though the elder son is going in the wrong direction too. So... These three characters in this story, I'm suggesting, they're all going in the wrong direction. I want to ask you tonight, in your life, are you going in the right direction or the wrong direction? To fully understand this story, of course, you have to put Jesus' words in context. And remember, he tells this story, it's recorded in Luke chapter 15, to a group largely made of two sorts of people. One of the groups is a group of sinners, so-called sinners, it's a horrible word. It really just refers to people who are irreligious, who are not following the moral or religious code of that time. And Jesus has been spending a lot of time with them. On the other side, as we learned last week, he's also speaking to a group of Pharisees who actually were the complete opposite, really. They actually uh, obeyed the law. They um, uh, followed the religious codes of the day. And basically, Jesus told this story because the Pharisees had come to him and said, Jesus, you say you're God, you're saying uh, you're the Messiah, but you're hanging out with this wrong crowd, these so-called sinners. Uh, you even eat with them. That implies acceptance. And in response, as we saw the week before last, Jesus tells three stories, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and this one. So to put this in context, Jesus doesn't have an argument with the Pharisees. He tells this story, and you've probably spotted who's who already in the story. The younger son is, of course, basically portraying the group of so-called sinners, irreligious people, not interested in religion, spiritual things, morality, not interested. 
The oldest son in the story is a Pharisee figure. He represents them and their approach to life. And of course, the father in the story is God. Okay? So this is what's going on in this story. Now, people have written books upon books upon books about this story. But I just want to make three observations about this story tonight, which I hope will sort of unpack what's going on here. The first is this. I think you'd have to say, it becomes clear from this story that as people, we have a tendency to get lost. We just sort of lose our way and get lost. That's the first observation I want to draw. It's clear that the younger son has kind of got lost. And uh, he's thought about his life as a young man, and he's thought, you know what, I just want to go the way of self-discovery. He's quite a modern figure, actually, uh, despite the fact this story is an old story. He, he wants to gain significance and personal worth and happiness, and uh, he wants to be free to make his own choices, to go his own way, to do what he wants, and uh, to have all sorts of experiences, be quite hedonistic, and... and that's his choice. He says, I'm off. He's not worried, as we've heard, about the community implications of what he's doing. He has very little interest in tradition, but he's off. And uh, he goes off, and it goes well. He parties well. He goes off to Ibiza and uh, has a great time. But then circumstances change. The money dries up, and there's a famine. And he ends up, actually, estranged from his father and really, really lost and alienated. And this really is one of the main themes of this story. I don't know whether you've ever been lost in your life in the same way that the younger son has. I have to say, I have been quite a few times, particularly in my early 20s. I ended up quite lost like him. Uh, I lived a very hedonistic lifestyle. I, just like him, I wanted to make my own choices, do my own thing, self-actualize, have a great, great laugh. And actually, I ended up feeling quite lonely with quite a serious drink problem. And I remember standing in front of a mirror, uh, just looking at myself, age 23, thinking, you're in trouble. And I remember thinking, I'm lost. So the younger son in the story is lost. The shocking point of this story, though, that Jesus makes, which Jesus tells the Pharisees, is that the eldest son is lost too. This is the shock horror of this story. The eldest son doesn't think, hey, I'm going to do this self-discovery, self-actualization, get a personal coach and you know, all that sort of thing. He goes the way of moral conformity. And uh, it sounds quite strange today in our postmodern context where the younger son's sort of archetype is more common. He actually says, you know, I'm going to put moral conformity over my personal freedom. I'm actually going to honor the traditions uh, of the context I've been brought up in. I'm going to actually uh, put my community ahead of my personal desires, and I'm going to be very, very dutiful. I'm going to be a good person. And uh, he does that, as we've heard. But as this story shows, he too ends up alienated and lost and separated from his father. And I'm going to unpack this a bit more next week, looking at the older son, but he's angry, he's resentful, he's bitter, 
and he has no joy in his relationship with his father. And Jesus, you see, is saying to the Pharisees, guys, you know, you keep the law, you think it's all, you know, about being good, you've done that. As Pharisees, you believe that's where God's blessing is in perfect performance. But you know what? You've lost the joy of God. You're just lost. You've become alienated from God. And you've forgotten some very, very basic things about God, which is that he has a real heart for all people. So you have two lost sons. So the first thing I want to say tonight is we all have a tendency uh, to get lost. And I have to say, I've ended up as an older son too. About 10 years ago, I'm leading this church. I'm just feeling annoyed. I'm feeling angry. I feel I've been... uh, uh, doing this Christian thing as best as I can. I've been dutiful uh, before God. I felt God called me to go to New I went to New Zealand and I've suddenly thought, oh my gosh, Mike, you've ended up as the older son. And it's a great, great risk for all spiritual people that you end up lost just like the elder son. Second thing I want to suggest tonight is that Really, you can take from this story, according to Jesus, he says religion is a really, really bad thing. Really bad. What do I mean by that? There's a sense in which religion really defined is the belief that by obeying certain principles, by doing certain behaviors, by doing certain religious things, we can make ourselves acceptable to God. Most world religions have that sort of heart or feeling about them. And uh, according to Jesus, as he tells this story, this is what the Pharisees believe, he actually says to them, look, you're really religious, and that's a really bad thing. Because you actually think it's all about moral performance, and you're striving your efforts, and actually no one can make themselves acceptable before God through their behavior. No one can do it. You you, you think it's all about you. It's actually about me, Jesus says. It's actually about my father. And when I meet people, they say, what do you do? I try and dodge that question just so they've sort of spoken to me a bit and they think he's vaguely normal. When I say, oh, I lead a church, their, their face grimaces, they're kind of grimaces, and it's like, oh, so many people say, oh, no, you're not religious, are you? And out there, there's a sense, particularly, uh, this religion thing, it's bad, it's dangerous. It's just, it's not a good thing. And Jesus would agree with that, because according to him, actually, It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how good you are. Your performance, good or bad, will possibly alienate you. The third thing I want to uh, draw from this story tonight is this. People, according to Jesus in this story, who go in the right direction join the father's party. What do I mean by that? 
One of the ironies of this story, you will have noticed, is that we're left hanging, aren't we? We're left hanging. The younger son is welcomed back. He's eating the fatted calf in his father's house. But the youngest son, actually, sorry, the oldest son, actually is still in the fields when the story ends. And Jesus effectively is inviting the Pharisees to just to come and join the party, the celebration of what God is doing in him. And you never know how they respond. And the real, real shock of this story is that Jesus is the true prodigal. Jesus is saying, I'm the true prodigal. What do I mean by that? We often think prodigal, we hear that in the church. It's commonly thought prodigal means someone who loses their way or drifts off or goes wayward. Actually, within biblical thinking, prodigal actually means someone who's spent everything or is recklessly extravagant. That's what it means to be prodigal. And Jesus, you see, is saying to these people, you're judging the sinners, you're judging these people, but actually, I'm the true prodigal. I'm the one who has come to my father, I haven't asked for my inheritance in heaven, but I've decided to freely serve you and go to a different kingdom called earth. I'm the one who has taken on human flesh for the sake of all people who I love and adore. And I'm the true prodigal because I know that you hate me, you hate what I stand for, and you are going to falsely accuse me, beat me up, torture me, and kill me. That's what religious people always do. They're always full of hatred. But what you'll come to see is that I'm going to give everything for my people who I love. I'm going to spend everything I have, even my very life, on the cross, so that people can have a relationship with my Father in heaven. I'm going to stand in their place, really, really sinful people who make the wrong sort of decisions and choices, people who think they're so good, they're self-righteous, I'm going to take it all on the cross and I'm going to spend everything and I'm going to be recklessly extravagant and lay down my life for you. And he says to the Pharisees, you see, it's not performance that makes you acceptable before God. It's not being holy and good. It's actually me who's done that on the cross. I stand in your place and all you need to do is have faith in me. People who go in the right direction join Jesus' party and come with great thanksgiving and awe and wonder at this gracious God who welcomes everyone, however bad, however seemingly good, has no favorites, but on the cross makes it possible for people to join the party. What's the party? Well, it's life and life to the full. 
It's going God's way. It's having your life transformed by Christ. It's having meaning and purpose. It's having redemption and transformation. This is what's on offer. And Jesus, in this story, is not just challenging the Pharisees. He's pleading with them to come and join the party. And we know what happens. So, all I want to do tonight is end with this question. Are you going the right way or the wrong way? Are you going the right way or the wrong way? If you think it's all about you and your performance or you think you're too awful, you've done too many awful things to ever be considered by God or even as a Christian, you've done awful things, he'd never forgive you. Uh, You've misunderstood the gospel. If you actually think, well, actually, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've had a quiet time every day and uh, actually, um, I'm really rather fantastic or you feel guilty that you don't do those things. You've lapsed into self-righteousness. You've become religious because you think it's all about you and your performance. And however bad you are, however good you are, you need to just look to Jesus on the cross, this wonderful God, this prodigal who dies in your place, sets you free, and invites you to a party. We're going to take communion, and of course, what's wonderful about communion is we hear again the story of the prodigal. We hear again the story of reckless extravagance of God, who actually spends everything so that we might be with him. And so why not pause for a couple of moments as we prepare our hearts to hear again the story of what God has done in Christ. And Heavenly Father, we want to go the right direction tonight, which is come to your cross, celebrate your resurrection and your resurrection life, Lord. So some words will come up on the screen. The Lord is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. In your love, you've made us for yourself. When we turned away and became prodigal and did all that stuff, you didn't reject us, but came to meet us in your Son. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us to a party. We thank you that you love us, you're for us, that it's actually not about performance. It's about relationship and devotion. We praise you in Christ. You shared our life that we might live in him and he in us. On the night before he was betrayed, At supper with his friends, he took bread, he gave you thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, 
This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup. He gave you thanks and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. As we proclaim his death and celebrate his rising in glory, send your Holy Spirit that this bread and this wine may be to us the body and blood of your dear Son. With your whole church throughout the world, we offer you this sacrifice of praise and lift our voice to join the eternal song of heaven. As our Saviour has taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. So, Lord, tonight, Lord, we pray that you would meet us, Lord. We pray, Father, if we're feeling like the younger son, we'd come in confidence, we'd come in certainty of your forgiveness and love. We pray tonight, Lord, if our hearts have become dull and we're joyless Christians, that you just poke us in the ribs, wake us up, Lord, and remind us about your party. Amen. If those who are helping me could come forward, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> 